Welcome to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Through each semester, the entire campus gathers for worship through song and a biblical, challenging, and encouraging message. Speakers include pastors, professors, and local business and nonprofit leaders. At Criswell, we believe spiritual life is vital for everyone. And that is why Criswell's goal in chapel services is to emphasize loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. We make leaders who are ambassadors, cultivators, peacemakers, problem solvers, and professionals. While chapel services are tailored to students, we are encouraged by all our guest speakers by knowing that the practicality of what is being spoken is for everyone. To learn more about Criswell College, visit criswell.edu. Thank you for joining us. Today we will be hearing from David Miranda. David Miranda serves as Director of Church Planting Centers for Texas Baptists. He is also the pastor of the Promised Church in Dallas. David is a former church planter of West End Church in downtown Dallas, ministering to the homeless and those living on the streets of Dallas. He holds a Bachelor of Arts and MBA from Dallas Baptist University. Without further ado, David Miranda. Good morning. How are you? It's good to be here with you today. Uh, it's a blessing. Thank you, Luis, for the invitation. And Dr. Creamer, thank you so much for uh, having me here as well. Uh, today we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. And really the premise of this sermon is today is the day of good news. And so to kind of wrap that around and flip that around, um, I, I know many of us came here with different worries, maybe midterms, maybe something going on in our families, or maybe something going on in our personal lives. Um, and so today I just want to remind you that today can be and is a day of good news. And so here what we're going to see in 2 Kings chapter 6 is just a narrative of the people of God, the people of Israel, they're going through a siege. And so I want to show you, and the next slide, I, I have a slide up here for you, so you can see just a little bit more of the setting. First off, we're going to be in Samaria, which at the time, this is the capital of Israel. Samaria is a fortified city, meaning it's wrapped around with huge walls. It's, it's protected, and uh, the people inside believe that they are well taken care of. But what's taking place here is that they are under siege. The Assyrians, which are the enemy, are surrounding the city. And here in this passage, we're going to find five different characters. And I think as you're reading narrative, many times you can identify with certain characters. And so number one, it's the king. Number two, it's a broken city. Number three, it's the people of God or the prophet of God. Number four, it's a doubting servant. And number five is radical lepers. And so as we're reading this narrative, I kind of want to prep you with that so that you can see maybe I identify with this person. And I think at different seasons in life, we identify with different characters here in this particular passage. So let's go ahead and dive in to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. This is what it says. Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. Again, the enemy is surrounding the city. Verse 25. And there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that the head of a donkey sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a calf of seed pot for five shekels. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him and said, Help me, my lord, my king. The king replied, If the lord does not help you, where can I find help for you from? 
from the threshing floor, from the winepress. Verse 28, it says, Then the king asked her, What's the matter? She answered and she said, This woman said to me, Give up your son so that we might eat him today, and tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and we ate him. And the next day I said to her, Give up your son so that we might eat him. But she hid him. Verse 30, it said, When the king heard this woman's words, he tore his robes, and he went along the wall. The people looked, and they saw that under his robes he had sackcloth on his body. And he said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Okay, kind of an intense passage for chapel, right? Or for early morning. We have a people who are starving. We have a people who are eating their own kind. And so you can kind of just see what the people of God are going through. And I want to explain something here. I think perhaps our situation might look a little bit different, but I think there's a psychological, spiritual, and emotional progression that they go through. And I think I want to kind of slow down and kind of walk this through with you guys. Here's the progression that we see. Number one, The people of God, again Israel, the capital Samaria, has trusted in their own ability. What do I mean by that? If you remember, this city was well fortified. It was a city that had built with their own hands what they believed was going to protect them. They had built with their own hands what they believed was going to keep them safe. But here we have something that is is completely unexpected to them. The enemy is much smarter than them. Rather than going through the city walls, what does the enemy do? They surround the city. And so nothing can go in and nothing can go out. And I think the same is true for us. A lot of times, you and I, we will trust in our own intellect. We'll trust in our own rationale. We'll trust in our own education, our own ability, our own strength. But many times, the enemy will be outsmarting us in everything that we do. I think it's important for us to not trust in our own ability to trust then in the, in the Lord. Number two is they begin to be deceived and they lose their identity. How do we know this? If you flip back now to verse uh, 25, if you go to verse 25, you see that in this great famine of the city, there are things being sold, right? Number one is the head of a donkey is going for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of pod is going for five shekels. So what does this mean? See, they are still the people of God, but the reality is that everything has changed. Their identity has changed. I believe that this passage here is more than just the economy of a broken city. I think it's talking about the economy of the people of God. See, here we, we see in Leviticus that there are certain animals that the people of God could eat and that there are certain animals that were impure that they could not eat. And so here, the donkey is one of these impure animals. And so what's interesting about this passage is that the head of a donkey, the least nutritional part of the animal, is being sold for 80 shekels of silver. The price went way up for it. So here what's happened, I believe it's more than the economy, once again. I think it's talking about the identity of the people of God. Here, they are still, even though they're going through a crisis, they are still the people of God, but the reality is that they've forgotten that. In their starvation, their problem was way bigger than their identity. I think it's important for us that as we go through this progression, when we go through a time of crisis, I think it's important for us to remember that we still remain children of God. 
Here, the people of Samaria had forgotten that. They're paying an outrageous and absurd amount of money for the head of a donkey that's the least nutritional part of the animal. And so we see that everything has changed for them. Point number three on this progression, we see that whenever they lose hope for themselves, they lose hope for everyone else. Again, they trust in their own strength. The enemy is much smarter than them. Then everything changes. They lose their identity. And in losing their identity, meaning in losing that they are still the people of God, they begin to lose hope for themselves and then also the hope that they have for other people. If you notice, as we read, we read that the king, and I just, I've been watching a lot of Netflix lately, so I kind of see this cinematic window in my eye where I see this king just touching these walls, the, the things that he has built with his own hands, and then people crying out to him and saying, my Lord, my king, help me. What does he do? Number one, he ignores them, first of all. And then secondly, when he finally comes to, he begins to make fun of them and he mocks them. What does he say? He says, if the Lord can't help you, where can I find help for you from? If the Lord can't help you, where can I find help for you from? And that's so true for us. I think there's a people outside these walls. In fact, we're in, we're in downtown Dallas, so we clearly see uh, po poverty. We see depravity as soon as we exit these doors. And in fact, even here in this, in this very chapel, we see people who are hurting, right? But a lot of times when we've forgotten our identity, we lose the hope that God has for us, and then we lose the hope that we should be giving each other. And so I want to show you a picture. I have a picture here for you. So as Jeremy mentioned, I was the pastor of a church in downtown Dallas. It's called West End Church. And the reason it's called West End Church is because we met in West End in downtown Dallas. So here West End is a transfer station. We have buses coming in. We have the dart coming in. And so you see all kinds of people. Thousands of people go through West End every single day. And so there, um, when, when I was around 21, God called me to go out and to just go out and feed people and to pray for them. And so as we fed them, people would ask us, well, what church do you go to? And so we're like, oh, well, we're, we're students. We're, you know, we, we come from all directions, and really we didn't have an answer for them. But after a while, one of our, the people that helped us out, what they would say is like, um, a girl from, from that group, she, she approached me and she said, wait, aren't we the church? Why don't we just come out and be the church and take church to them? And so we did that conventionally, as, as conventionally as possible. We went out there every single Sunday. And we were out there for about 10 years, every single Sunday going out. And so typically, we would see people who come by. And on a particular day, we see this lady on the right. Her name is Sandy. And it's pouring down rain. It, it's pouring down rain. And this lady shows up, and she has nothing, no belongings, nothing that she has to her name. And all she's wearing is this trash bag over her head. And so this passage comes to mind, and so it's the question that we could have for her is, well, if God can't help you, where can I find help for you from? Or secondly, this little boy named Ronnie on the left. Ronnie was one of our few kids that we had in downtown Dallas. You don't see too many homeless kids uh, nowadays, but Ronnie was one of them, and he would come, and he would bring and light up, light up any space that he walked into. And so for us, uh, we look at him, and he never met his mother, and he never met his dad. His mom was addicted to crack cocaine, and so he was, he was taken from her at the hospital. 
And then his dad was in prison when he was born, so he never met him either. And so again, I ask, you know, we could ask the same question, Ronnie, if God can't help you, where can I help you from? If the Lord won't do it, then where will I do it from? I think, uh, I think here it's so important for us to just remember our identity, that we're rooted in something greater than ourselves, greater than our own strength. We need to remember who we are in. That way we have hope for others. And so we see this king who begins to lose his identity, and again, he loses that hope he has for his people. In fact, if you realize this king's name is never mentioned, meaning one of two things. The author here doesn't find him valuable enough to to mention his name, or really he's doing a literary technique here where he's really any of us could fit into this picture. And so the next thing that the king does, point number four in the previous slide, You see, as we lose hope for ourselves and for others, what does the king do? He begins to blame, right? He shifts the blame. Who does he blame? He says, may God deal with me ever so severely if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, is still on his shoulders by the end of the day. So here he's shifting the blame and he's blaming God. And so as we go through this progression in our own loss or in our own struggle, many times we'll begin to blame one another We'll begin to blame those around us, and then we'll end up eventually blaming God. Well, God, you're not there for me. Well, God, you don't listen to me. And that's exactly what's taking place here. And up until now, I've only given you bad news, right? Okay, chapter 6 is the tragedy, but in chapter 7, God is going to speak, and God is going to intervene. And we'll go through this quickly. Chapter 7 says this, Elisha says, again, God beginning to speak through Elisha, and says, hear the word of the Lord. Now God is speaking. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a seah of the finest flour will sell for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Again, it's more than the economy of of a country. Here it's talking about the identity is what I believe. But then, verse number two, there's an officer on whose arm the king was leaning and said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates now, how could this happen? So he's making fun of the promise that God is making. How is it possible? How is this situation going to turn around? That's not possible. Are the heavens just going to open up? And so this is the response that Elisha says. He says, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. And for me as a preacher and also as a Bible reader, I think it's, that, that is one of the most tragic things that you can hear is you will see it with your own eyes, but you won't taste it. I think the gospel, right, throughout the the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke, and John, it's an invitation, not just for us to know, but for us to be able to experience, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus tells the people that are surrounding him, his disciples, come and see. See, the gospel is not just for us to know, and I think that's important for us to have today because you will go through a lot of Bible classes and you will know, but I think the gospel is about experiencing, taking in. And the tragedy here is that this man will see it with his own eyes, but he won't taste it. Here's an invitation, right? Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and see that the Lord can change your situation. That crisis that you're going through, God can flip that around. And we'll continue. When God speaks and when God intervenes, he will do so in the way that you would have never imagined. God specializes in things impossible. 
And so many times in our situation, we might say there's no way that it can happen, but God will use the impossible to make things happen. And here we see it. Verse 3, it says that there are four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. These men aren't even inside the city, right? These men are outside the city gates. The enemy hasn't even touched them. Why? Because they have leprosy. Leprosy in this time is a very deadly disease. It begins to rot the flesh. And so in those times, I think nowadays with COVID, we, we kind of know the six, six feet rule, right? You have to stay at a distance, social distancing. For them in leprosy, it wasn't just six feet. It was 100 feet. They couldn't come in within 100 feet of other people. In fact, if they came, if they came in any closer, people could pick up stones and stone them alive. When they came close to people, what they would have to say is they would have to scream three times, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, three times. And so here we see a people who the enemy has already discarded. Why? Because they're the walking dead. They're destitute. They're about to die anyway. The enemy doesn't care anything about them. But what we see here is that these men are not counting on their own fortifications. They're not counting on man-made walls. They're outside the city gates. And they say to one another, why should we stay here until we die? If we go into the city, the famine there will kill us. And if we stay here, we will also die. So let's go into the camp of the Aramaeans and surrender. If they spare us, we will live. And if they kill us, we will die. Here it's a realization. We're not going to wait here and die. We're going to go into the enemy's camp and take whatever they leave behind because really that's going to be our salvation. So I think here the point for us, the application for us, is don't just wait. Don't wait. Don't sit still. Have the faith to get up and realize that God is going to do something. Verse 5, it says, At dusk they got up and they went to the camp of the Aramaeans, and when they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. God had worked. Verse 6, it says, For the Lord had caused the Aramaeans to hear the sound of chariots. So now the enemy that was surrounding the city heard the sound of thunder like chariots, and they thought that the Hittites and the Egyptians had joined the Israelites, and together now they were being ambushed. The enemy who was ambushing the people of God now believes that they themselves are being ambushed. Why? Because God had done a work. So then they, the enemy got up and they abandoned their tents. They left horses and donkeys, and they left the camp as it was, and they ran for their lives. So now that when the man with leprosy had reached the edge of the camp, they left tents and they ate and they drank and they took silver and gold and clothes and they went off and hid them and they returned back to another tent and they took some other things from it and they hid them as well. Okay, I don't know if you're following here a parallel to our own lives, but I I believe that verse 9, if you take anything away from this narrative, I think verse 9 is the most important verse. It says this, Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is the day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. Okay, so this is important for us to to realize here. Because if you look at the New Testament, when the Bible talks about good news, what is that? It's the evangel, right? The gospel. And so here they come to a realization that what they're doing, they have salvation, right? They have gold, they have food, they have silver, and then they go and they eat, they become satisfied, and eventually they hide the rest. And then they go to another tent and they eat and they eat and they eat, they pick up gold, silver, and they hide it as well. They come to a realization that what they're doing is not right. I I tell you the same thing here now for our our practice today, our, our application today. 
We come to chapel twice a week, right? We go to Old Testament, New Testament class, and we eat, we eat, we eat, we eat, and then we hide the rest. And then we come back to chapel the next week, and we eat, we eat, we eat. We go to church, we eat, we eat, we eat. We hang out with Christian believers, we eat, we eat, we eat, and we hide the rest. Chris, well, there has to be a time when we say what we're doing is not right. Today is the day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. Here, God, again, I love that the good news is this gospel that Jesus Christ came and he died. He took upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. And so this is the news of a broken city, of a broken world. What they need to hear, they're dying of starvation spiritually and a lot of times physically as well. And we have this opportunity to be this good news to them. I want to, again, remind you that you might not have to go very far, but today is the good news. You could share that with that person next to you. Maybe they're going through a crisis that they've never experienced before, but today can be a day of good news. Don't lose your identity. Don't lose your hope. Um, I won't read the rest just for lack of time, but I want to tell you what happens as we close. You would imagine that as they go into the city with this news of salvation, that everyone there would have said, all right, let's go. Salvation is at hand. Let's go. Let's run. But what they do is they risk it all. Remember that they had leprosy, so if they came close to people, they could be stoned to death. So they're not only risking everything that they have, they're risking their own lives. And a lot of times, whenever we share the gospel, it's gonna, it's gonna, we're going to be risking something. We're sacrificing something. For us, it might not be our lives, but potentially it could be uh, our embarrassment or our pride, right? We could have the pride to say, well, I, I value that more than this person's salvation. But these lepers, they did not even value their own lives enough. They wanted the salvation of a broken city. So what they do is they go to the city gates, risking it all, and guess what? The king doesn't believe. The king doesn't believe. We're risking our lives, and the king doesn't believe. This is the same thing that potentially can happen in our lives. We're risking it all. Maybe our family has disowned us because we're following a new, a new example, a, a new gospel, right? And, and maybe we come to them, and they don't believe. But guess what the king does? The king sends out two scouts. And these two scouts are going to go to these camps and see if it's really true. See, a lot of times when we're young, I think we have this fascination with changing the world. And really, that's a really good thing. But really, God is the one doing the work. He just calls us to be faithful. We might not transform all of Dallas, but maybe there are two people in your life that will see your life and be changed by it. And what they're going to do is they're going to return back to that people you were trying to reach. And through their testimony of what they saw in your life, they will be changed and they will be saved. So my call here for you today is be faithful with the two. Be faithful. Who are those two in your life? Finally, these two scouts go back to the city and the city is saved. But what takes place in the very last verse of this passage is that as the people who are starving are running out the city gates, what they do is that they trample this one officer who didn't believe. The one who saw salvation with his own eyes and he, he didn't have the opportunity to experience it. And that's where the narrative ends. I hate that ending. <laughs> because it's so, the, it's so emphatic of you can experience it. God wants to use you 
to be this voice of salvation to many people, but many of us will only see it and not taste it. I have an invitation for you. Experience this salvation. Taste it. Come and see. The Lord is good. Today is the day of good news. God wants to use you, and I know he can. Today is the day of good news. God bless you. Thank you once again for listening to the Criswell Chapel podcast. Please make sure to visit criswell.edu to learn more about Criswell College. We hope that you will join us again soon. God bless you.